the best way to build community is around a table. Food is universal. And the best way to get different people from different viewpoints or societies or backgrounds together is to put a good pot of chili on the table like what happened tonight. Welcome to the 284th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, regional food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. In Ear to the Ground episodes 282 and 283, we featured discussions about how rural communities have been devastated by an agricultural system that exports commodities out of the region, taking local economic viability with them. As Amy Bacigalupo and Ken Meter made clear in those interviews, community-based food webs that link farmers, businesses, local governments, and of course, eaters, offer a way to support regenerative farming systems and vibrant Main Street economies. Let's face it, before a community can create an alternative system that challenges the status quo, people need to sit down and talk to each other about needs, desires, and challenges, as well as what resources are available. On a recent summer evening, I saw firsthand just what can happen when people are offered up a chance to discuss a different future for their community. Around two dozen people gathered in a former hardware store on the main street of Madison in western Minnesota. In many ways, Madison is a typical farm town. Its population is around 1,500, and it's surrounded by an endless sea of corn and soybean fields. The meeting itself was held in the shadow of towering grain elevators. This was one in a series of land stewardship project listening sessions, where staff were gathering insights from people in various Minnesota communities around the challenges and opportunities involved with building a better, more sustainable food system. During the course of the evening, farmers, business owners, and other local residents talked about the shortcomings of the current export-driven commodity system and brainstormed ideas for a better, more community-based approach. Input gathered during this and other meetings will eventually help direct LSP's work around community-based foods. Just as important as the content of the meeting, was where it was actually being held. Since it opened earlier this year, Madison Mercantile has become a community gathering place and provides a glimpse into how food can serve as an economic and cultural anchor for a region. Chris Shellstead grew up in Madison and spent over three decades elsewhere while serving in the military. When the self-described rural rebounder returned to the community recently, she saw something that's quite familiar in farm towns, an empty building on Main Street. The large structure, its 15,000 square feet, has had a long history in the community. It had once been a lumber yard, then was a building supply store. Most recently, it had been a combination hardware and auto parts business. But instead of accepting that this sprawling building would go the route of similar structures in farm country and fall into disrepair, Chris saw its potential as a hub of economic and cultural innovation. She purchased the building and in February 2022 opened a coffee shop. By late summer 2022, The building was home to a meeting room, art gallery, small gift shop, performance stage, and a drop-off location for a food buying club. Madison Mercantile also has office space for rent and plans for an arts classroom, local food co-op, and a community workshop. Chris is working with others in the community to make Madison Mercantile a combination for-profit and non-profit venture. For now, it's a busy place. She estimates at least one group, and sometimes two or three, meet at the Mercantile daily. It's clear that all of this activity was not spawned by the opening of Madison Mercantile. It already existed in living rooms, kitchens, and church basements. This massive building, with its worn of different sized spaces, has just provided a common pivot point for people to gather, socialize, plan, and brainstorm. 
It's places like this where great ideas like a community food web are born. After the LSP listening session, Chris sat down to talk about bringing an old Main Street business to life and the role it could play in a future centered around community-based food. Madison Mercantile is in a, an old um, hardware store. Most recently it was a hardware store, an auto parts store. Prior to that, it was a building supply building. And prior to that, it was a lumberyard. So it used to be a drive-through lumberyard. If you take a look at the architecture, you could tell that you could unload the wood at the rail train tracks behind the building, uh-huh. run it right into the building here, and people could drive right through back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And then later in the 50s and 60s, it got um, built into uh, more of a building supply place. And of late, it was Bramer's uh, Auto Parts and Hardware Store. And so I remember coming in here for various things, and it was just crammed full of stuff. So I had no idea how big the building really was until it was empty. And when I saw it empty, I was like, yeah, this is way too much space. 15,000 square feet, all on one floor. When we saw the building, we were looking to do eh, maybe a little coffee house, community center, little art, little culture. Um, And I kind of laughed at myself for even thinking about it because it was such a huge space. And I thought, how could we make this cozy? How could we make this viable? And then I thought, no, I'm thinking too small. Let's make it bigger. Let's just fill the space with everything the community needs. So that's kind of the background of the building itself. We're anchored at the end of the south end of Main Street and uh, right under the shadow of the grain bins. And the north end of Main Street is the county courthouse. So we have this nice little boulevard. And it's a, it's a really uh, nice location because we're right on County Highway 40 and close to State Highway um, 75 or I guess it's a state highway. So it's it's centrally located um, at the end of Main Street. So we really appreciate that. How did this idea get going that this is what we're going to do with this building? And had it been just recently a hardware store and, and all that? Or what, what was the, was it immediately like, oh, we got to do something with this place? Or did some folks come together? Um, well, uh, so I didn't live here when this hardware store stopped operating. And so everything was sold and it sat empty for, I think, a year, maybe a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I moved back here two and a half years ago. This is my hometown. I graduated from here. I went off and joined the Army for 30 years and retired in Texas. And my husband passed away, and I decided to come home Mm -hmm. uh, two and a half years ago. And I wasn't going to do anything crazy. Well, that lasted about six months. (laughs) I'm a serial volunteer, apparently, and I just saw an opportunity. And one of the things or problems I wanted to solve was a personal one. I missed good coffee craft beer, art, music, after having lived in Austin, Texas, and a couple other places around the country that had those things. And I thought, you know what? I miss them, and my town deserves them. Even if you grew up here and never left here, you know that you you need those things in your life, culture right. and art. And, and if you are relocating here, you, you miss those kind of things. So um, kind of a build it and they will come sort of thought. So I know I, I knew I wanted to, it to be a partially a nonprofit because I wanted it to be a community center mm-hmm. where we can do these kind of things um, to build community and, and to provide a place for people to get together. It was just in the middle of COVID when we bought the building, but I had an inkling that as soon as that veil lifted somewhat, everybody would want to um, get together again. I was, I, we weren't wrong. Um, at least a dozen organizations call this building home now. Soon their names will be outside on the building, but mm-hmm. that funding isn't here yet. So <laughs> it's everything from, it started with the Quilt Club. 
and then study clubs and a Bible study and the Madison Arts Council, Madison Community Foundation. All of these organizations that had been meeting in people's living rooms or church basements, and now those places were either not available or nobody wanted to put 20 people crammed in one room anymore. So this provided more space and sort of a central location for those kind of things to happen. So it seemed to fill a need for the community right away. And then we kind of vowed to listen to the community and kind of say yes to everything for a year, which that was that was kind of rough. <laughs> but that year's over, and yeah. we're trying to learn to say no a little bit. Yeah. But um, some of the things we did were um, put in a coffee house where you can get no kidding good lattes and, and cappuccinos and Italian sodas and things. And then we built a stage, and um, we realized that when people are listening to music, they kind of want a cold beer, so we got a liquor license and decided to bring in a couple craft beers that weren't available elsewhere in town and that had ties to this community. That's kind of a key thing is to keep it, keep it hyper-local, trying to get the coffee, the wine, the, the beer, the food, the, everything we do, we want to try, try to keep it as local as possible, mm-hmm. and that extends to food. Right now, we're just baking a little bit. Um, when we branch out into lunch, and things like that we want it to be more of a farm-to-table kind of offering something healthy and and local uh, when was it that then this actually opened as a community center uh, the coffee house itself opened in February of this year oh, oh yeah that recent it's very oh, recent oh, okay. the art gallery we had a grand opening in March ah. so we are less than less than a year old yeah, yeah. so it's been a fast and furious ride mm. I learned a lot about um, sheetrock yeah. and mudding and taping and all that and luckily the community really pulled together we had a lot of donations of furniture and couches and you name it and a lot of people just wandered in and wanted to help how is it set up as a financial or financially or yeah yeah what yeah legal structure well uh, originally we we, we formed a, a for-profit LLC to purchase the building and get the construction loan because we kind of had to but in okay. the back of my mind I always wanted it to be a nonprofit so as soon as we uh, established the art gallery we did make that a 501c3 uh, for the gallery itself and now I'm working with um, a lawyer who specializes in these kind of structures and so we are going to be restructuring so that we are a nonprofit corporation that owns the entire building mm. and has a subsidiary for-profit coffee house. That'll kind of give us a lot more flexibility when we're looking at grants and um, opportunities to, to do programming here. So take us on a little audio tour. What else? So we're sitting here. This is the meeting venue that we're in where we just had the local food listening session. But I walked back there and I kind of gave up trying to figure out what everything was. <laughs> but there's a... You've got you got the coffee shop behind us here, but what all do we when somebody walks in? All the choices of what all is here. Kind of talk a little bit about that. Yeah, when you walk in the front door to your to your left is a space that we've dedicated to the Madison Arts Council, and so they'll they'll highlight a different artist every month, um, and we're on our fourth or, or fifth artist, and that's been really positive. People are really excited to show their work. To the right is a burgeoning little gift shop that we're providing a venue for locally made handicrafts and some nostalgic items that sort of uh, uh, talk about um, our old Madison dragons that you know, before the high school closed, we're all pretty nostalgic about that. So that gift shop is here. And then you walk into the coffee house area. And the coffee house is a fully functional, you know, coffee and tea place, but it also has a baking capability and a fully approved, uh, public health approved kitchen, so we can expand and and do more. The art gallery, it is straight ahead, and um, the stage, uh, which 
is fully furnished with audio equipment, so an, a musician can come in and just plug and play. And we're really hoping to have more open mics and things like that. That's been a real, real joy to see people come in and just start playing music. In the art gallery is an exhibition. A friend of mine um, passed away and left me all of her artwork, about 100 pieces of assemblage and collage. So that's one of the things that's surprising when you walk in is to find, wow, this wow. is a no-kidding art gallery. It's, it's really beautiful, and she would be very happy with it. If you go keep walking back, uh, we have a couple offices that are for rent. One is being used for some caregiver support services. Another is becoming a massage person's venue. Uh, and we've had handicapped accessible bathrooms and a kind of a lounge meeting room. And then through the double doors to the back half of the building is going to be our remote work center. So um, as we build out that area, we'll be building a Zoom room. Um, just plug and play, have your Zoom meetings. Um, I also want that to be a venue where uh, maybe a grandma could come and Zoom all her grandkids and have coffee with them. That's really, that's my ult ultimate uh, plan for that room. And an arts classroom. And then there's a wellness room that we're building where group exercise can happen, um, whether it's yoga, meditation, or something you know tougher, like some body pump kind of thing. There's actually a group of ladies that come at 5.30 in the morning already to do that, even though the room isn't even built. They've, <laughs> they've already claimed that area as their own. And then further back, um, there's a space for what we hope will be a local food co-op. Um, we've set aside space for that, and there's a group of people interested in having some locally raised uh, foods and just access to those kind of things there, and hopefully a storefront. And then the back part of the building is more of a warehouse sort of feel to it, but we've carved out a community workshop back there, mostly geared toward older men in town who perhaps had a workshop at the, sh at the farm, and now they've moved to town, and they don't have anywhere to do that kind of thing, and thus they've lost that social connectivity um, that happens when you're doing projects. So we're, we're building that, and we've got a group of about eight to ten guys that are, that are getting that going. And then the far back end of the building is, is just wide open spaces right now, but we actually have somebody interested in, in building a Bitcoin mining project back there. <laughs> don't even ask me what that means. I was hoping you were going to explain what Bitcoin was. But I don't think so. The only thing I know is it generates heat, and we need heat about half the year back there. So if it's an endeavor that will lower my fuel bill, I'm all for it. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I'm wondering is what's paying for, yeah, things like heat, infrastructure type, because it's, this is uh, Minnesota, and so, you know. Well, um, I was lucky enough to uh, sell my house in Texas at a great time, um, so frankly, it's a lot of personal money that went into it. We are seeking grant funding now, though. We're, we're about to write grants for some major capital improvements and hopefully some operating funds and some programming funds, um, in addition to being the mediocre barista. Hopefully I'm an okay grant writer. Uh, that's sort of where we're moving in the future. There's a few revenue streams in that we are renting spaces to artists and uh, a new newspaper is is starting here. So we've, mm. we've got, you know, offices for rent by the square foot and we've had some generous donors and we've had a small amount of grant money through Southwest Minnesota Arts Council and Southwest Initiative Foundation. But um, we're really going to be seeking to strengthen those revenue streams and hopefully the coffee house will be self-sustaining soon. But in the meantime, the build out of the building and kind of getting programming up and running, hopefully we will, we will rely on some generous grant making. I like what you said about when you opened this up, you realized it was almost like you had opened up a, a beehive or something or, or 
all these activities were already taking place. They just didn't have a centralized place to do it. And, and, and so it just, it was like a, there was this burgeoning demand for this kind of thing, and all of a sudden you open this up and people show up. Right. And, and I think that these things had happened in the past in, you know, church basements and people's living rooms and, and you name it, and then COVID hit, and then everybody, all, all of this social and civic activity sort of stopped. And when everybody was able to come together again, they wanted a space that was more open and and sort of more more neutral than their own homes. And one of the things that led me to do this when um, I moved back to, I call myself a rural rebounder. When I moved back a few years ago was I'd been reading a book called Alienated America, Why, why Some towns thrive while others collapse or something similar to that and a few other books like that and I'd been living with the you know kind of the divisive nature of our society and all that and I thought well if I'm going home and I'm going to live there I'm going to make this place a place where disparate communities can meet Mm -hmm. and so we've done things like invite different sides of fences to show up and we are we established a diversity council and we're really trying to you know get all our signage in you know multilingual and things like that because we feel like that the future of rural America is multicolored it's multi-racial it's multi it's immigrants and it's embracing everybody that wants to live this lifestyle so we would like to be a center for that Mm. it's been really exciting to see some of that start and some other towns have said, hey, how can we get one? So we really want to document what we've done mm-hmm. and try to see if we can help um, other places do something similar in, in their towns and regions as well. When I was talking to you earlier, you would said, I'd asked you something about, well, how many people use this in a typical week or whatever. You kind of gave a rundown. It was like more than a dozen groups or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, and we have reoccurring meetings uh, probably at least one a day, sometimes two or three a day, that are reoccurring meetings. And one of the reasons to have them here and, and publicize is so new people can find them. Mm. You know, in, in many towns, you'll have the same people on the same council for many years, yeah. the Arts Council or the Community Foundation. And we really need, need and want new blood. So I feel like if it's in a neutral place that's advertised and open, people can show up and see if it's maybe a group that they want to participate in. So we had this meeting tonight where people, we put up some, of course, because it's a land stewardship project meeting, we had to put up poster paper and people had to write on it because that's, uh, that's what we've always done, where people had ideas of what they would like, for one thing, what they'd like to see, what we, they think we need to create a good, strong regional food system, kind of what they'd like to see in the future, that kind of thing. You were here kind of running the coffee shop and stuff, but you, were, you, you could overhear a little bit. That seems like a natural fit for something like this as far as, you're trying to create this regional local hub of local activity, but it seems like maybe local and regional foods would be that one next step. And a lot of pe- things people were talking about, I'm like, yeah, I could see a facility like this. Because I know you're already doing people, there's a, drop, a monthly drop-off, um, kind of a buying club that's getting food here already. So people are kind of getting used to coming to this central place. So I wonder what you're thinking about that, if this that kind of fits into what your, kind of your vision here. Absolutely. And, and the best way to build community is around a table. Food is universal. And the best way to get different people from different viewpoints or societies or backgrounds together is to put a 
good pot of chili on the table, like what happened tonight, right? Yeah. And um, it's sort of that stone soup effect, you know, nobody has everything, but everybody's got a little, and they can bring it together and build something bigger. It's natural that this would be a place for food. It is one of the things I miss about living in a bigger city, is access to variety and culturally specific foods and things like that. So if we can bring a little bit of that here, and we can use the space I have here to, to be a food hub. Uh, we've got storage and distribution um, space in the back, and it is kind of centrally located um, in Lacroix County and, and also um, adjacent to Swift and Chippewa and, all, and, and the other Big Stone and Yellow Bank. We feel like this is a great place for that, that kind of local food hub to happen. Personally, I'd like to serve food in my coffee house that has a tie to a particular farm. You know, this sandwich brought to you by Peterson Farms or whatever. And just to kind of remind people that we live on the best dirt on the planet and we don't get a lot to eat from it, <laughs> but we could. And um, the, the, the pandemic really highlighted that, the supply chain issues and local processing issues. So I, I would consider it a success if the mercantile, our space, is home to a food hub, a uh, food community that can grow and, and expand throughout the region. Well, and I think that's a really nice fit with one of the topics of discussion tonight was some of the research that's been done already around the local food community in this region is a lot of people through conversations and through surveys that we've done are saying it doesn't seem like there's that much local food activity going on when it turns out there is but they're not aware of it it's kind of all separated and disparate what you were talking about earlier where these this serves as a place where people can come and you can advertise come to this place <laughs> you know it's not just somebody's home or basement or whatever so that seems to fit in with kind of bringing together all the like we had some farmers here who produce food locally we had other farmers who were interested in that and this may be the first time they've been able in the same room to talk about some of this stuff so it's a it's a place it's a physical place they can come together and and kind of start start that uh, journey down there absolutely and i somebody did asked me a few weeks ago when we were kind of talking about that this is you know we only have one grocery store in town in aren't you competing with them oh. I'm like no we are actually complimenting them because we've actually talked with the local grocer and and he can't carry everything for everybody it just doesn't have the capacity and doesn't have the volume and turnover that he could so we've talked to him about all right if we have a space here that has some of these more natural organic and local things then people will still buy their staples from you and they're different things here if we don't have this here People are going to drive an hour away where they can go get it all, and you're going to lose the, the rest of the, the purchase from, yeah. from that person. Right. So it's actually beneficial to have something like this working in collaboration with a local grocery store. Yeah, and, and you know, we used to have three grocery stores here when I was growing up, and there was, there was choice and there was competition. The town this size can only really support one grocery, grocery store now. So if we can fill the gap of the things that they are not able to carry whether they're um, some natural, organic, locally produced kind of things and some culturally specific things. We have a growing Hispanic community in town. And to get some of the staples that they want, they have to drive 30 minutes or so over to Montevideo or somewhere else. And while that might not seem a lot to us, it's a lot if you don't have a car. It's, it's tough if you've got four kids you're trying to keep take care of too. So we would like to, to address the needs of those populations in our, in our town as well. And I know you're not an expert on this, and you're just kind of getting going on this, but for somebody who is maybe came back to their small town or they, they've 
never left their small town and they see a building like this or they see some infrastructure like this, do you have any advice for what the first steps uh, uh, there are? Or maybe you've made uh, learned from, from, from some missteps too, I don't know. <laughs> any thoughts on that? I think when I first walked in here, I went, oh no, too much space. And we're already going, hmm, I wish we had more space. Oh. So I think what I would say is, is if you walk into a building and you think it's too small, it probably is, because your dreams are going to be bigger than, than what, you, what you see in front of you. But I'd also say don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to grab one of these buildings on Main Street, talk to the city, talk to the EDA. There are programs to get you going. I'm, I was really gratified going down my Main Street to see that there is probably one or two empty storefronts, and that's it. That's good in a town our size. Wow. And we have we have designs on one of them, actually. Wow. Um, the nonprofit here does. So um, I think having, if you see, if you have an idea, no matter who you are, how old you are, what your resources are. If you have an idea and you're passionate about it and you communicate that idea strongly, you're going to get partners. You're going to get people behind you. And there is funding and there is support for whatever it is that you want to dream in a, in a building like that. So I would love to see every, every building on every little main street full of something creative. I would say that the arts are a vehicle to growth in a small town. I was talking to somebody yesterday who started a cultural center in a town about our size and within five years 17 new businesses started and they see direct correlation uh, between an arts and cultural center and something else starting like a tea room or another coffee house or a, you know things like that because you have uh, a density of users or buyers or consumers that are that that will come for the coffee house but then they also see this other thing starting my point is that I think it's a domino effect in a small town if you if you build something with enough excitement and enough inclusion it's just going to spawn more if anybody has great ideas we got some space here in Madison for you there you go all right there's a good pitch <laughs> it sounds like you're having fun I am I am I haven't I'm really tired yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking a break and going camping for yeah. 10 days at Lacofarl State Park but no every day I still come in and go yeah I get to do this and while it is not easy and it's not cheap, it is invigorating yeah. and it's a blast. And my main reason for doing this when I moved to town is that my family is here, my sister, my brother, nieces and nephews, and, and I want them to be proud of where they live and I want them to have something cool going on. And I take solace from this little 14-year-old girl who was here the other day and I said, would you like a latte? And she goes, oh. I've never had one before. <laughs> and she, I made her a latte, and she walked around to look at the art, and she goes, wow, I kind of feel like I'm in New York City. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and I thought, you deserve it, yeah. young lady. You deserve yeah. a place where you feel special, and you can see some art, and you can yeah. kind of realize that life out here is what you make it. For more on Madison Mercantile and LSP's community-based food systems work, see the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode number 284 at landstewardshipproject.org. There, you'll find a link to episodes 282 and 283, which feature more conversations on using community-based foods as a way to revitalize rural Main Streets and the land that surrounds them. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612 816-9342. 
By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Thank you.